South Coast here on WBSM. Tim Weisberg is here. Matt Costa is here with me. How you doing? And our science advisor, Matt Moniz, is joining us tonight as well. How are you tonight, Matt? All right, guys. How are you? And uh, those of you who may have heard Matt uh, in bits and pieces over the last couple of weeks wondering, hey, who is that guy? What's he doing hanging around in the spooky South Coast studio? He's now officially part of the team. We've named him our science advisor. You can read his bio on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can find out all about us. You can find out all about who our guests are each week, and that's where you can download the show. And uh, you can listen to it right online after it airs, or you can also uh, download it to put on your MP3 player, because we want you to be able to hear Spooky South Coast 24-7, because we're just that in love with ourselves. So Matt, it's nice to see you this week. I haven't yes. seen you at all. You've uh, you've been a little bit busy performing your civic duty. My, my civil duty, yes. And and, and uh, Jerry duty. And, well, we don't want to get too much into that case because you know it doesn't have much to do with the paranormal. At least I don't think so, right? I mean, from what you were telling me. Yeah, it's a pretty weird case, but not of, exactly paranormal. I wouldn't say. Of course, you told me after the case you would never talk about an ongoing court case because that would be wrong. Of course. But now that you've seen the legal process in action, you've been up close, uh, and you've seen how lawyers go through the process of, of proving or disproving things, does that uh, kind of lend into the, the paranormal here for you? Is that, Are you going to try to bring in some of that uh, in your investigations of what we talk about here, or does it make you say, gee, maybe sometimes people overanalyze things? Um, I could probably uh, take a little bit of it, at least put it into the paranormal investigation, maybe start our own. Investigation yeah. team. Well, I mean, it's, I it's, it's got to be coming sometime in the future. I mean, we can't sit in here in a studio all the time and, and talk about ghosts and aliens and UFOs without actually being out there experiencing things. I mean, we've had our own personal experiences in the past, which is what led us to decide to do this program. But, you know, then again, I mean, anybody can sit in the studio and talk about things all the time. But, you know, unless you're out in the field learning things, as, as Matt Moniz has done, I mean, he's, uh, he's experienced uh, a lot of this stuff firsthand. Over the years, haven't uh, I mean, what is it that brought you into this originally? Probably, I would say the first thing would be encounters I had myself when I was much younger. You know, seeing what would be termed as ghosts or spirits or whatever when I was younger. Then seeing, you know, unknown flying objects and things of that nature. Now, bear in mind, when I'm talking about this, it's not just myself seeing this. I'm talking, mm-hmm. seeing it with other witnesses right there with me. So, you know, I know it wasn't in my head if they're all seeing the same thing I am. I mean, it's, it's common human behavior to dismiss things uh, at first when you see them, but when you have other people agreeing with you and saying, I mean, even when you don't even have to, you know, vocalize anything. They just turn to you and say, "Yeah, I saw, I saw it too." That too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much what happened to me. Well, we want to hear about your personal stories. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred for Wareham and the Cape. 
We want to hear about your paranormal encounters, your stories, your theories, even your questions. And coming up later on, we have a very special guest tonight. He is probably one of the world's foremost authorities in all things paranormal. His name is John Zaffis. You might be familiar with some of his work if you watch uh, the, the Discovery Channel programs such as A Haunting in Connecticut or A Little Lost Souls. Uh, he's also worked with TAPS, the group that's on the Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters program. And um, years ago when they had Unsolved Mysteries, which was a personal favorite of mine, you always saw John Zaffis on that show. And now uh, he's going to be here with us tonight via telephone, and he's going to take your questions as well. So don't forget to uh, save some questions for John Zaffis. Also, we're going to touch upon the week and weird later on, where we give you some news stories that you might not have heard on the mainstream newscasts. And uh, we also have some uh, websites that we want to update you on. Now, uh, as I said, uh, we have our own website, SpookySouthCoast.com, which is basically all about the show. It's where you can find out who the guests are. Uh, before each show, show now, we're putting up the links to what we're going to be talking about. So if you log on right now, you can actually check out some of the websites that we're going to be referencing tonight. We'll find out a little bit more about our guest, John Zaffis. And, you know, SpookySouthCoast.com, it's going global. Earlier tonight, Matt and I were checking it out. And we actually had two hits from Japan this week and one hit from Israel. So uh, people are finding out about us uh, around the world, so we want them to be able to hear all the great South Coast ghost stories. But there's a new website uh, just started recently by one of our very own listeners. She heard our stories each week. She heard what we were talking about with our guests, and she decided to form her own website, the New England Legends website. And uh, we have the link to it on our site, SpookySouthCoast.com, but you can also get to it directly by going to www.freewebs.com slash newenglandlegends slash index.htm. And she is looking for contributions of stories of the paranormal from this area, and she's also looking for your photographic evidence as well. So uh, you can always email us, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, Matt at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we can forward the information on to her as well. Also, our friends, the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, who we had on as our guest a couple weeks ago and who will be joining us again in the future, had their big relaunch of their website today at www.capers.com. That's C-A-I-P-R-S dot com. And, of course, our friends, the New England Paranormal Association from right here in New Bedford, their HTTP colon backslash backslash newenglandparanormal.blogspot.com. So those are just some of the websites we want to make you aware of as we head into the two hours of paranormal discussion tonight. Like I said, John Zaffis will join us. We'd like to hear from you. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And uh, we had uh, Penny Dreadful on last week and her, her gang of ghouls. We're trying to help Penny Dreadful spread her you know, evil fingers into the many cable systems around here. We're working on trying to get her in the Wareham Marion area and uh, any other areas where they're not broadcasting the show. You know, uh, if a resident can step up and help them out, they like to spread their evil across all of Massachusetts. So, And uh, so we're going to take a quick break right now. And coming up on the other side, we'll have John Zaffis for you. We want to hear from you, 508-996-0500, We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. (laughs) 
studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, Matt Costa, and Matt Moniz all here waiting to hear from you. And also we have a special guest on the line joining us. He is a paranormal investigator for over 30 years. He's a world-renowned psychic researcher who has investigated thousands of reports of alleged hauntings and witnessed and assisted in over 85 exorcisms to date. He, uh, he began working for his aunt and uncle, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and that led into his own involvement of cases of possession and exorcism, working with prominent exorcists such as uh, Bishop Robert McKenna, Father Malachi Martin, and Reverend June. Through hands-on investigating with other investigators and clergy, he has obtained a great deal of knowledge and understanding of the paranormal and is considered one of the foremost authorities in the field today. He recently published his first book, Shadows of the Dark, with co-writer Brian McIntyre, covering his extraordinary life as documented through his case files. He's also been featured in television programs such as Unsolved Mysteries, A Haunting in Connecticut, and Little Lost Souls. John Zaffis joins us on the line. How are you tonight, John? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, we are spooktacular. Okay. Sounds cool. And, uh, we, you know, we wanted to have you on because, like I said earlier in the show, you are one of the foremost experts on the paranormal. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and when it comes to paranormal investigating, I mean, everybody says John Zaffis right away. And, but one of, one of the things that a lot of people might not uh, realize is that, you know, this stuff happens all the time. Yeah, unfortunately, you can look at it from the perspective it's, yeah, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that people don't hear about that isn't brought out to the forefront. A lot of investigations, personal family cases that we get involved with, you never act, <coughs> excuse me, fighting off a little bit of a cold. Uh, you don't usually hear about those investigations unless, you know, you're talking to somebody in the field and, and they'll bring it up or something. I interact with a lot of the uh, organizations all over the world intermingle with a lot of different clergy all over the world also. So I continuously will hear about different investigations, get involved with different things, try to help some of the other groups out there to try to understand what to be careful of when they're getting involved with some of these things. And, and that is, I mean, there seems to be a huge push these days uh, as, you know, the reality programming on television becomes popular, shows like Ghost Hunters become popular. You know, a lot of these people that watch these shows say, Hey, I can go buy myself, uh, you know, an EMF detector and a thermometer and a digital, you know, a digital recorder and go out and hunt ghosts. And it's it's not quite that simple, is it? No, it really isn't because there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with these TV shows. There's a lot of time that gets put into them. A lot of investigating. You've got to check these things out. Are these stories for real? Are there hauntings occurring? So th- there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes when you start filming for different things. You've got to really check a lot of things out because you've got to be extremely careful. Now, with a lot of things now, too, demonology is becoming extremely very popular. A lot of people are trying to understand it. They're trying to comprehend and understand the fact, do these things really occur and do they really happen? Do people get possessed? Well, yes, these things do occur, and they do happen. And they happen a lot more frequently than most people will realize. But when you get into the, the meat of all of this, it's usually the oppressed state that I more intermingle with than I will an actual possession of an individual. Okay, well, and what is the difference between the two? 
the, the uh, oppressed state is when a person has something trying to take them over, that's trying to win them over. And the way that it goes about doing this is it weakens the individual down. It will have, a person can have uh, hearing voices, they stop eating, they stop sleeping, they stop intermingling with family and friends, they totally withdraw. They're even having a hard time trying to function at work. Now, when I get involved at that point in time, do I actually call that oppression? No. One of the key things is, you know, you ask these people, have you been to a psychiatrist? Have you been to your doctor? And, you know, sometimes they go, yeah, but they can't find anything wrong with me. They have me on medication. Nothing's working. Now, right then and there, that's a point in time I'll look at it a little bit more closer and try to realize and understand what that individual is going through. Then I take it a step farther. I want to talk to family members. I want to talk to friends. I want to talk to people that are close to this individual to see if they can share some more information. Because all this information is very important when you get down to having a person delivered or exercised. I mean, there's, there's definitely, without that research at the beginning, uh, if you try to just go in, I mean, if somebody really is just, you know, mentally disturbed or, or has some sort of uh, psychological issue, you can do a lot more damage by just going in blind and, and not researching all the stuff ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I've seen it happen, you know, on different occasions where, you know, someone will seek out help and, you know, an exorcism will be performed immediately. Well, the ramifications from something like that can be very, very devastating not only to the individual, but the researchers and the clergy that get involved with a situation like that. If you're not aware of what you're going up against and prepared for that and preparing yourself, you're going to have things occur with you because it will just wait for the perfect opportunity to enter your lives and wreak havoc. Now, with a lot of the organizations today trying to uh, understand these different parts of it and getting involved with it, I've seen it tear the organizations apart. It turns researchers against researchers. Uh, families will turn against the researchers. And you can have total pandemonium on your hands when you aren't careful and you're not looking at the big picture and watching how you approach those types of cases. Now, for the individual, how does the possession begin? I mean, how, well, how would they first begin to, to realize that they might be possessed? A lot of times what occurs is somebody will do something to open up doors. You know, it's a very, it could be very innocently done. People can, you know, be playing around the Ouija board, do seances, start to cast spells and do different things, thinking it's just a game and these things don't work. And, you know, several days, several months can go by. Nothing will happen. And all of a sudden, they'll start to experience things. Things will start to occur within the house. Things will start getting moved around. Lights will be turned on and off. Doors will be opened. These are the telltale signs that something can and will be entering. Then over a period of time, things will escalate. These people will be continuously woken up. They will have things sitting on the bed. They will be touched by things. And then it escalates to the point where they're getting weakened and they're just totally drained of their energy. Now, here again, when a person is exercised, if you will, it's very important afterwards that those people definitely seek out some type of therapy. Psychological oppression 
is terrible. And these people go through some really, really hardcore things. So I always recommend that these people seek out help from the medical field afterwards to try and understand how to pull some of the things back together in their lives. Stay in contact with uh, some of the researchers, you know, because these things linger around waiting for the right opportunity to enter back into their lives. Is there a lot of cases of, of repeat possessions? There can be. I've dealt with quite a few of them. And a lot of times it's the fact that these people don't keep themselves guarded. They don't change the way they were basically living. They would let things re-enter into their lives. And when it does re-enter, that's when it comes back tenfold. And that is a very, very difficult situation. Now, you have to remember, too, a lot of times a person can be exercised several times before there is any actual relief to the individual because spirit attracts spirit, whether it's good spirit or bad spirit. And you can have multiple spirit that can and will reside within an individual. Also with a, with a building, a home, property. I mean, you know, these are types of situations, too, where, you know, exorcisms are performed over these properties to help clear what is in them. And and what are there certain characteristics? I mean, I understand the concept of inviting this stuff in through, you know, playing with Ouija boards or, or seances, but are there certain characteristics that seem to run through those who are possessed? The, uh, the, the, the common traits, like I was talking about earlier, though, those are the types of things that I look for when a person is possibly possessed. But, I mean, do the... Do the uh, the demonic spirits, do they seem to look for people that aren't religious or maybe people that are overly religious? Is there a, a certain thing that they target? No. There really is no boundary. Now, a person that is more religious is opt to have stronger attacks towards them than a person that does, doesn't have any belief system whatsoever. But the same thing can happen whether a person believes in anything whatsoever or a person that is a very religious person. I've seen both. Because I've always thought that maybe if somebody was, was more religious, they'd be more apt to believe that it's happening to them. I mean, if they were to have these type of feelings, they would think it was a negative force. Well, you have to remember today, people are viewing religion very differently, and people question a lot today. And a lot of people don't have that structured belief system um, you know, within their lives. So therefore, when I'm dealing with these people, and a person that is very, very religious, the most common trait or the most common thing they would say is, well, why am I going through this? Then on the other hand, you deal with a person that doesn't believe in anything. How can these things happen when I don't believe in any of this stuff, but yet I'm experiencing all these things that I thought never existed? So I deal with both. Well, we want to hear from uh, the listeners and see if they have any questions for John Zaffis. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And uh, one question I have, uh, I've always wondered is, I mean, uh, when you encounter these spirits, uh, do they, you know, claim to be a certain demon? I mean, have you ever, you know, encountered the same demon multiple times? Yes. Um, one thing that um, most people don't really comprehend or really understand is that when a demon is casted out of an individual or a place, 
it is casted back to where it came from. And then people can and do resummons different types of demons or whatever you want to call them, and they can come back. So they can repeat time and time again. But, I mean, you've encountered the same demon in different individuals? Yes, I have. So, And do they remember you? Yes, unfortunately, they do. And what kind of uh, disadvantage does that put you at? It really doesn't put me in that big of a disadvantage because I'm aware of the different things. I'm aware of the things that they're going to come out with. When they can repeat information about other exorcisms or being involved with another individual, they can give you time frames. They can start to tell you things about yourself tell you about different clergy you worked with, and these things do occur, and they do happen. And I'm quite well aware of it. In the beginning, did it, did it freak me out? Yeah, because I never experienced it. But when you get involved with this and, and you move forward with it, you do realize that these things are going to occur and they're going to happen. I mean, how much, uh, how much of it is like the Hollywood version we've seen in films like The Exorcist? Uh, I've never seen anybody's head spin, never seen anybody spit up green <laughs> yeah. pea soup yet. But, I mean, in terms of, of the, the wealth of knowledge of these, of these demons. This does happen, and this does occur. And these people do talk in voices that are very, very bizarre. And the voices are something, it's not like you speaking or me speaking. It can come from the individual, but it's also like you can hear it around the individual also. So it, it's a very piercing voice that you will hear and those are telltale signs and a lot of times it will talk in over over voices and it's the best way i can describe it to you now you got to remember these types of situations are very very rare but they do occur and they do happen i think we have a call for you right now john uh good evening you're on spooky south coast uh, we have your name where you're calling from i'm calling from the Okay, and do you have a question for John's office? No, but I have like some kind of experience that I've went through, and I'd like to know what it could have been. Okay, well, you couldn't talk to a, a better source here, so why don't you let us uh, in on your experience? Well, it was years ago when I was laying in the bed, and my whole body was, like, paralyzed. And um, I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I was trying to, like, scream to the top of my lungs, and nothing was coming out. And then shortly after that, whatever had left my body... I had, like, something fly across the room, like a, a board that I was saving for my brother, you know, to use for the speed bag. Mm-hmm. It just, like, flew across the whole parlor, and it leaned up against the coffee table. And something like that has happened to me, like, twice in my life, and I don't know what it was. A lot, a lot of times when these things occur, I call them isolated situations. Very, very, very common with people. What you refer to is phantomania. That's the paralyzation. You can't scream, you can't move, you can't mm-hmm. do anything, and then poof, and all of a sudden you're able to move right. and react. Now, don't get me wrong. Scientifically, it has been proven that people can go into these states, and it's scientifically proven that it's a medical thing that occurs with people. But when you deal on the paranormal and some of the things that you're describing with the board moving across, that could have been an isolated situation where a spirit, for some reason or another, had tried to communicate with you, tried to enter your life. Mm-hmm. But for some reason or another, and I hear this story a lot of times, people have told me the same identical story that you have, and it'll just move on. 
and you'll have no other problems whatsoever. Well, it seems like every time I try to reach reach out to like religion or something, it seems like there's always something that gets in my way. You know, like certain people that I shouldn't associate with. And... Well, you know, it, here again, you know, they, this is the whole world of this particular type of situation, and you know, it's a very very hard thing to understand. It, it gets very very bizarre. And a lot of times in situations where you try to move forward, you'll have obstacles that get thrown in our way. Is it coincidental? Sure, it can be. Or is there something else at play? A lot of times that's where we have to weigh the differences. Because normal things do occur in our lives. We do have people that enter our lives we wish didn't, but that does occur. And it doesn't mean necessarily that I feel all of those types of situations are paranormal. But here again, it's a very bizarre world, and that's why I always use the word paranormal. It's the unknown. We're all studying it. We're all trying to understand it, how these things intertwine with all of us. So you could have been thinking maybe it was like somebody like from my past family that communicated with me. Or... Uh, I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you. Oh, she was just wondering if it was somebody from her past that was maybe trying to reach out to her. Sometimes we never know. Sometimes these situations, we never, ever get the answers to why these things occur. Sometimes we do, and we can figure it out. But I always tell people, if it's an isolated situation, try to just let it go. Try well, not. It, was, it was pretty scary. It was something that I would never forget for my whole life. You know? we, we don't. We yeah. never forget uh, these types of experiences. But the one thing that you always have to remember, the, the law of attraction, the law of recognition, can and will bring spirit back in. So I always try to tell people, I, I know myself, it's very difficult to forget these things, but you always try to let it go. Why they happen sometimes, we're never going to have the answers, but sometimes we do. Why you had gone through that with that particular situation, I don't know. Did you have anybody that had died within that time frame or anything? Um, no, not that I know of, no. Okay, because here again, a lot of times when um, someone within our immediate family is close to passing away or they just passed away, people experience what you have described. And it will be, here again, an isolated uh, type situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank, okay. you. thank you for calling and sharing your experience with us. And now, uh, John, a lot of times people will feel that type of, you know, their body being taken over, but it's not necessarily always a demon or something negative. I mean, how do you tell the difference between something that is a, a ghost or a demon? Very difficult. What you have to be very, very careful of is I know a lot of people that are mediums, a lot of people that do channeling, and they open themselves up for spirit to enter their lives, to enter their bodies. And you got to be very guarded because you can and you will be tricked. Now, here again, from a logical perspective, 33 years I've been doing this, and I've known people to channel and never have anything negative happen. But a lot of times people I deal with have and let something on a negative level in, and it has tricked them. You've got to be very careful, and I always tell people, you know, don't just open yourself up to let these things come in. You know, everybody has a fascination with it. People are very intrigued with all these different types of things. And like I said, I know people that have never had any problems with doing it, but I know people that have. 
It's the chance you take. The best way I've always described any of this with the paranormal, anything we do, it's like playing Russian roulette. That's, that's a really good way to put it because, uh, you know, a lot of the times people that do delve into this, you know, like you said, they can go years with having nothing happen to them, but then some people, the first time they do it, uh, which was the case with a member of my family, first time they decided to play with a Ouija board, I mean, it just wreaked havoc on their life. Mm-hmm. And now... Uh, when you go in and you talk to these demons and you have these encounters with these demons, what is your feeling of where they actually come from? I mean, do they come from a hell as we've been taught? They come from something that we all try to understand. So you've got to remember, I'm, I'm, I'm Roman Catholic, but I'm very analytical mm-hmm. because I study so many different religions. The one concept that I came up with and... It's very, very interesting, is that so many different belief systems, cultures, religions, all have something that they refer to as the negative, no matter which way they look at it. And from so many different belief systems, they believe they could cast it back into the earth, they can cast it back into hell, they can cast it back to wherever it came from. Now, you have to keep an open mind because you, I deal with so many different belief systems that there is a place, there is a, a, an area, if you will, that they get casted back into for a better lack of term. I hope I'm around when people figure this all out, <laughs> that there is a place that they are casted back into. For best reference, can it be hell? Sure. John, this is Matt. Hi, Matt. Um, what you were talking about, actually having all of the religions having the same basic idea about an evil or a bad, it stems from early bringing up a man being uh, throughout the world, starting with paganism, early shamanistic and stuff like that. That's which, as you know, historically is the origin of all of the other religions. Absolutely. Okay, now, in history, from what they are able to discern, that these spirits were both good and bad, and um, these belief systems were ad- also adopted into the mon- modern-day monotheisms that we have. That's Absolutely. Why, that's why we share a lot of these same uh, aspects of what you're talking about, that they all have the same basic structure, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with all this, you know, uh, newfound paganism, with all this, uh, you know, modern-day Wiccan and the, the different aspects of paganism where people are rejecting the concept of God that we've been forced almost, uh, you know, as part of our national makeup, uh, as people resort to these alternative and more uh, archaic religions, do you think that kind of opens the door for a lot more of the negative to come through? Uh, not necessarily, no. Now, um, I have a tremendous amount of friends that are Wiccan. I mean, the, the basis of that is just to worship Mother Nature. And most of them do do that. But here again, dating back as far as we possibly can, We've always had good and we always had bad interpreted in different ways. No matter what the religious belief is, they can and they do summons and can bring forth something. Now, a lot of people today refer to it as negative energy. 
and that, you know, you have positive energy. So I have to have an understanding of the philosophy when we bring all that in. And when you look at some of the different things, uh, especially today, I mean, there's such a mismatch of so many different belief systems, cultures, religions that are pulled together, and some people can create their own belief systems within this. And that's very complexing, and it gets very confusing when you start dealing with some of these things. So it's a very, very bizarre type of situation. But like I always say now, the one thing that I have learned after all these years is you have good, you have bad, you got black, you got white. might be interpreted differently, but the bottom line is it's still the same result. But in addition to the yin and yang aspect of positive and negative energy, human beings also create a lot of energy on their own. Absolutely. And it seems like, I mean, as a big, you know, glittering generality, it seems that human beings create a lot more negative than they do positive, you know, just a result of the world today. And is that something that they just feed off of? When you, when you deal with a person and they're a very negative individual. It's uh, a complex thing because negativity is going to draw negativity. Positive usually draws positive. But then you have those situations where the yin and yang are going to actually clash, if you will. So you, you have to look at those types of situations. Okay, here's a good example. Someone will call me and think that they're necessarily cursed because I believe in curses. And when they explain all the different circumstances that this individual is going through, this type of an individual, a lot of times you can look at that and say, this person is really one of those types of people. If something positive happened, they wouldn't even recognize it because they're so fixated on the negative. So here again, that's the type of situation uh, I will recommend that these people do go for counseling to see if that can help them. Because people today, especially today, are more drawn in to, uh, you know, being more on a negative level. A lot of it has to do with society, the things that occur, the things that happen. And it's a very, very hard thing for a lot of people to let go of that. But this here again is human emotion, human energy. And depending on how those individuals choose to focus in on things can determine what is happening with them. And here again, I wouldn't consider something to that degree paranormal, no. Well, we'd like to hear uh, from the listeners, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, if you have any questions or experiences you'd like to discuss with John Zaffis. Now, in addition to just the uh, possession aspect and, and the exorcism aspect, I mean, you've done a, a lot of, I don't want to say run-of-the-mill, but, you know, the less, uh, the less intense, you know, ghost and, and poltergeist possession, uh, I'm sorry, experience. And one of the things that uh, you've been on the forefront of is water poltergeists. I mean, why don't, why don't you explain to people what exactly a water poltergeist is? Because it's something people might have experienced without even realizing it. Absolutely. With, with poltergeist, um, it's basically the way I interpret it and the way I go about investigating it. It usually focuses around the child that is going through puberty. And at that point in time, we know scientifically that people can tap in. We get KP. People can harness different energies to manipulate different things. It's complex, 
And there's so much that we don't understand with the brain. There's so much of it that isn't even utilized that certain individuals do have the capability of doing that. That I consider to be a normal type of circumstances, if you will, with a poltergeist case. But I get involved and I take it a step farther if the case warrants it, where that child might have information from the past, the future. That child is getting hurt, they're getting scratched, they're getting bit, they're getting thrown, and there's a tremendous amount of things occurring. It could rain in a house, you can have spontaneous fires, you can have things that are very, very intense with a poltergeist-type situation. Now, most recently, I dealt with a water poltergeist case where it would literally rain in the house. Now, it's not like you walk outside and it's raining. That's not what occurs in these types of situations. We'd be at the home investigating, and you'd walk through the house and everything. The very last time that this occurred, now there's several homes on this estate, and the family never had any type of paranormal activity for nine generations. This was the first time it ever occurred. Mm -hmm. And it started happening in the grandmother's house. And the bizarre, crazy things would occur. And then it escalated to where it would rain in the house. Now, one of the very last times that we were there, that we, you know, we had all gotten up, everybody got dressed and everything, having breakfast and everything. We came out, we were all sitting in the living room. I had walked into the kitchen to go get a cup of coffee. I turned to walk down and looked into the master bedroom. The master bedroom was soaking wet. Wow. Within seconds. Wow. Within seconds. Now, yeah, you, this blows your mind because it, it defies everything you know. It defies anything from a logical perspective. Now, the water has been tested. There's no difference in it. It's regular water. It hasn't been altered. It hasn't been changed whatsoever, which is very common. It's not going to. So here we have to look at this from a perspective, how this water can dematerialize and then materialize into our lives, our realm, if you will. I mean, we know that, uh, you know, it's very complex. We know there's things that we don't understand. But when these types of things would occur, this little child would have an enormous amount of pain throughout her body. And she would talk about the things that, you know, have occurred. And she would be so drained. But within the context of that, it's a bizarre thing, she would see different spirits that would be around. And some of them were very dark. Some of them would appear to her in a grotesque state. Some of them would appear to her as beautiful human beings, women, men, dressed in old attire. So these are all the things that you look for when you get involved with these types of cases to try and figure out what the heck is exactly happening. Well, one of the things that uh, I've always noticed, too, uh, when I've read about poltergeist cases, like you said, it does revolve around uh, an adolescent youth or even a pre-adolescent youth in some cases, but it also seems to focus toward other members of the household. Uh, for example, I read of a case where there was a, a young girl who you know, was having issues with her father, and these things would only occur when the father was in the room. 
I mean, is there a, a psychic link there that causes that to happen, or is it just, you know, that's the person that they're directing this, this energy toward? I believe it's both. I believe that there's definitely a psychic link that takes place, and there's a possibility that when you're intermingling with some of these different things, can the spirit pick up on it <clears throat> that that child is you know, wants to retaliate. Is it picking up on that child's thoughts and will do something to the parent and lash out at the parent? Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt that those types of things can and do occur. But there again, we have to evaluate those situations. It's very important to be present when some of these types of things do occur. Is that child focusing that particular energy towards the individual and are they aware of it or unaware of the circumstances that are occurring? Because a lot of times with your poltergeist cases also, too, you'll get the smell of ozone. Very, very prominent a lot of times in, in the cases. And it, it, it gets a very, very pungent smell. And, the, you know, here again, just like when it's real hot out and it rains, that's the type of smells you'll get inside these houses with poltergeist cases. Can I ask a couple of questions about the testing of the water? Yes. Uh, I have a background in analytical chemistry, and I've done a lot of water testing myself. Mm -hmm. um, did you check pH and conductivity levels of the water? Okay. Here's what I can tell you from what I've been told. Two of the researchers had sent the water out. One of them had taken them back to his campus. They had evaluated it. And they basically had told me that they noticed no difference in that water in comparison to regular tap water. No difference? No difference. There was nothing different about that water whatsoever. So its pH remained constant with the same water that was in the house? Its conductivity remained the same that was in the same house? From what got relayed back to me, yes. Okay. Because you got to remember, some of the, they'll describe some of these things to me, sir, and I'll be like, okay, is there any difference? That's the bottom line to me. And they'll just relate back to me, no, there was no difference, John. Well, because a lot of people might not even think to, to check. I mean, if it happened to somebody in their home and they didn't have an investigator as part of it, they wouldn't think, you know, that there could be that type of difference. I mean, they're just going to expect right away that it's a leaky pipe. Or, but, right. you know, I mean, how many times have people had leaks where they say, oh, well, there's nothing leaking. Where's it coming from? Well, like I said, with my background... With my background in chemistry, I know that when you have ozone present, if you have water, it's naturally going to absorb those ions. That's why I was asking if the mm -hmm. pH and conductivity was uh, different. This no. is what I find curious because if you have one, you have to have a difference in the other. So you're saying that it isn't different to me is curious. Mm -hmm. there, there was no difference, sir, from what um, they had told me with the results. And it's the best I could tell you on that one. And how often do these water poltergeists uh, appear in these in these cases? I mean, when you have a poltergeist activity, how often is water part of the uh, activity? Well, in 33 years, I've only heard of five cases that have been documented. And and this is my second water poltergeist case I ever got involved with. And so, uh, when you refer when you first had that first encounter, as you said, it was, you know. What the heck is this? Where did this come from? But now, is it something that, you know, you look for more often? or No. No, I, I do not because they're very, very rare. 
Um, I, like I said, I only know of five documented ones, to my knowledge. I'm sure there are more, but that, that's all I'm aware of. Well, I mean, when, when you say five documented, I'm wondering how many you know, you've uh, checked out that have turned out to not be a poltergeist, but to just be some other cause. Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't had that happen. I have not had that happen to me so far where I've gotten involved with something where the people have told me it has literally rained within the house. Now, I have been involved with cases where there have been puddles that have appeared, just spontaneous little puddles that, you know, here again, it's bizarre. I could think of about four or five different situations with that, but I, here again, I wouldn't classify that under the terms with me as being a water poltergeist case, no. Well, that could be, uh, you know, as, as spirits try to manifest, they draw energy is the commonly accepted theory. I mean, that could just be drawing all the moisture from the air into one concentrated spot, maybe? Yeah, it could very well be. And then precipitating out moisture. It's mm -hmm. what's known as an endothermic reaction, where mm -hmm. it's drawing in heat and energy from the outside environment, making it cooler. And obviously, if you're cooler in a room, you get the dew point and the it condenses. condenses. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, J John, if somebody has uh, poltergeist activity or, or they suspect that they do, how can they go about contacting you to have you check it out? They can. You can very easily uh, get a hold of me. You just have to put in johnzaffis.com, and that will take you into my four different websites. My telephone number's on there, all the information for contacting me, what to look for, and um, do everything I can to try and help you out. And... Uh, when people do contact you and, and you do determine that it is a, a haunting of some, uh, of some type, how do you go about getting rid of the ghost? That's a whole process that you have to determine what the circumstances are, what was occurring, how long has the haunting been going on, did these people purchase a haunted house, did somebody recently die in the family, is it what I refer to as a residual haunting uh, residual hauntings are the most difficult because if spirit is not ready to cross over, it's not going to. You can uh, go into a lot of different avenues, a lot of different ways to try and clear a piece of property. Now, you know, here again, like I said, that, that's referring to human spirit. And a, a lot of times hauntings a lot of times can run their course also, and they can come to an end just as quick as they start. It depends. It takes certain things. Certain things could occur or happen, and the haunting will totally stop. But, I mean, how are you sure that it's over? Can you ever be sure that it's over? No. You can, there is no one out there in our field that can turn and say to me that they are 100% convinced that a haunting is totally over. Here again, that's going to depend. I can, yeah, we can have a home, you know, perfectly clear. Everything can be perfectly fine, and we know that the home was cleared. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then you have circumstances that can occur where the person can bring the spirit back in. Did that spirit end up leaving at that point in time and then re-enter? So you got to be very careful when you get involved with that and saying that it is perfectly 100% cleared. Well, we're, we're coming up on a, on a news break here, but I've always uh, 
wondered about the people that uh, do these investigations, and they, they treat a haunting as almost like the chicken pox, where once you get it and it goes away, you're not going to get it again. And I think it's more kind of like, uh, you know, when you, when you develop uh, uh, tonsillitis and they don't take your tonsils out, it makes you more susceptible to getting it in the future. It can. Because you, you have to remember, with the, with the paranormal, and when you go through a haunting, no matter whether it's at any degree, you're still going to be more susceptible than the average person. So, therefore, you know, somebody can go through a haunting, move out of that house, 20 years can go by, boom, nothing ends up happening, then, boom, all of a sudden the haunting can start back up again. And it can either be a haunting centered around that person or around the house, you know, for the next family as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. These things can and do happen. And uh, I don't know. It, hopefully, John, you can stick with us for the second hour. No problem. We can get back into some uh, some more stuff about haunting investigations. We can talk about your aunt and uncle, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and some of the cases they worked on. We can also touch upon your paranormal museum, which is uh, extremely interesting. And uh, for those of you who would like to check out some of the items in John's museum, you can go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and we have links up to all of John's sites uh, about his book, Shadows of the Dark, about his museum, about his organization, the Paranormal Research Society of New England, and all the different ways you can contact him. We'll also touch upon the weekend weird on the other side of the news break as well. And don't forget, in the second hour, we want to hear from you. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape. And remember, you can listen to the show all week long on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, as well. Matt, do you have any questions for John before we hit the news break? Um, I, have, I have a couple questions about the museum, but I, I think we'll wait till the second hour to get into that. So you had very interesting stuff, John. And, and I don't know, how, is it located in your home? Yes, it is. I don't know how you can live in that house with some of those items. Well, we'll, we'll go through all that. I'll explain to you how. <laughs> uh, it's just uh, I would have that room under severe lock and key. That would be the way that I would do it. So, uh, like I said, we're, we're coming up on the news, but we want to hear from you. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Also, on the other side, we're going to tell you some more stuff that you haven't heard about exorcisms and a little guy we like to call Harry Potter. I'm not sure if uh, John's familiar with this, but it's quite an interesting story. We'll have it for you in the Week in Weird uh, as well as some other interesting stuff, voodoo-related as well. So be sure to check out our website so you can see all the links to that. So uh, coming up on CBS News, we will see you on the other side, as we like to say, here on Spooky South Coast. And 
Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. We'll get back into our conversation with paranormal investigator John Zaffis in just a moment. Right now we're going to touch upon a little segment we like to call This Week in Weird. And uh, Matt should have some cool music for us this week. Uh, we're experimenting with this, trying to trying to produce this segment and make it sound a little bit professional here. Yeah, there we go. I know John Zappas is familiar with this music, having been on Unsolved Mysteries before. And Robert Stack, wherever you are, we salute you. But right now, we're going to get into the week and weird, some stories you might not have heard on the regular news reports at 6 p.m. Motorists in North Norfolk, England, have recently experienced an unusual spate of breakdowns. Spate, that must be an English word I got out of this report. Their car is suffering a variety of strange electrical and electronic problems, reports the Guardian newspaper. Cars traveling on the coast road from Mundelsley to Cromer have stalled, their electronic instrument panels blanked out, their speedometer has gone crazy, and their clock stopped. Local garages have reported calls from nearly 100 motorists in the past few days with problems in a variety of cars. One woman found that the fuse board of her Nissan Almera, again, that must be purely English, had been fried, causing the meltdown of her entire digital display. The Ministry of Defense, though it has not admitted liability, is currently investigating claims that the cars, all modern vehicles with electronic immobilizers and onboard computers, have been affected by microwave radiation from the RAF Trimmingham station. Local residents who say that the radar station has also interfered with their TV signals have lodged an official complaint. A similar phenomenon was reported last year in Wales when motorists near the nuclear power station at Wailafa Anglesley, I probably butchered that, experienced failure of their remote central locking systems and problems with their alarms and immobilizers, whatever those are. Many were unable to start their cars at all and others found them constantly locking and unlocking their doors. That's a freaky scene right out of Poltergeist 2. This was to put down the radio signal used in a link between site monitoring facilities that was the same as used in a number of remote central locking and immobilizer systems. All right. In Beijing, a mother of a teenage daughter says she was horrified recently to see her daughter pushing needles into a voodoo doll to increase her luck before an exam at school. The dolls were imported from Thailand and are made from a single string of hemp they are said to be able to help people put curses on enemies, bring luck to themselves and friends. Dolls have been hit with young people in the city, according to a store on Yang Ming. <clears throat> all, the door, all the dolls sold in my store are from southern Thailand. They are made by residents there, said Yang. They can, they can all be used for incantations. An 8-centimeter doll sells for about $5 U.S., the entire set includes 56 dolls, each of which has its own secret force. The doll has a heart made out of red cloth attached to its chest by two needles and a screw through its skull. Of course, you can see a picture of those dolls on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. They're awfully cute for, for uh, voodoo dolls, but hey, if they all serve the same purpose. Now, we touched upon this before we took the news break. Big story coming out of the Vatican for Harry Potter fans. The Vatican's chief exorcist yesterday, now remember now, the Vatican recognizes exorcisms again after uh, not ex recognizing them for a number of years with the new pope. You know, exorcisms are all the rage down there in the Vatican. And their chief exorcist yesterday claimed that the Harry Potter stories could lead children into Satanism. 
Father Gabriel Amorth said, You start off with Harry Potter, who comes across as a likable wizard, but you end up with the devil. There is no doubt that the signature of the Prince of Darkness is clearly within these books. Father Amorth, who is 80 years old, so of course he's hip and up to date with all the stuff the young kids like. He's carried out more than 3,000 exorcisms since 1986, and he also said, By reading Harry Potter, a young child will be drawn into magic, and from there it is a simple step to Satanism and the devil. I wish my parents knew that when they bought me that magic set when I was 10 years old. The series of books whose popularity with children has made millions for author J.K. Rowling has already been criticized by Pope Benedict XVI. Three years ago, before becoming Pope, he said the character was a bad influence because the stories contained, quote, seductions which act unnoticed and by this deeply distort Christianity in the soul before it can grow properly. So there you go, folks. Harry Potter is the Antichrist. We figured it out. I knew it all along. <laughs> all right. But now everybody's heard about Dick Cheney and his uh, buckshot incident. Uh, however, a month before Cheney shot his uh, hunting buddy, the New England Journal of Medicine reported a 93-year-old Inuit woman whose x-ray showed her appendix filled with buckshot. The Inuits hunt for much of their food, including ducks, geese, ducks and geese that are shot with buckshot, which apparently doesn't digest fully. Hmm. Sounds good. You know, sometimes uh, when you get that Thanksgiving turkey, you can still find pieces of the bullet in there from time to time. No? And a beer can in the middle. A beer can? <laughs> well, that's just, you know... That's the way to cook them. Yeah, that's the secret recipe for stuffing. Well, there you have it. That's the Week in Weird here on Spooky South Coast. And if you hear any weird news stories that uh, you want to have us talk about here on the Week in Weird, just shoot us an email, tim at spookysouthcoast.com, matt at spookysouthcoast.com. We'll make sure we give you credit. So let's get back into our conversation with John Zaffis, the paranormal investigator who has been witness to over 85 exorcisms. And we also have another caller on the line for you, John, that would like to ask you a question about demonic possession. Okay. Uh, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Uh, yes. Um, I've been diagnosed with um, epilepsy, but I'm not sure if I believe it. Like, could, like, the doctor explain to me, like, some brain damage from a birth injury, but maybe, like, that part of my brain could, like, because of the supposed injury, be more susceptible to spirits or something. I've noticed since I got back towards religion, I haven't had any incidents. So could that have, some, could, um, that have something to do with um, it? So you're, you're telling me you were diagnosed with epilepsy, and during the course of this, you became religious again, and you really haven't had what I refer to as episodes? Yes. Well, you know, here, here again, bizarre, crazy things do occur. Sometimes I've, I've dealt with people that have been uh, diagnosed with uh, bipolar, uh, schizophrenia, split personalities. And a lot of times when these people are diagnosed with different things and they're on medications, sometimes when they go a spiritual route, it has helped them. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen people where it hasn't helped them whatsoever. But I had seen situations where it does help. So, you know, here again, you know, it's a bizarre, it's complex. Sometimes we don't understand why certain things could occur. 
and why they happen. Now, you have to remember, too, if there's any trauma to the brain that does and will alter individuals, it can alter, you know, that sixth sense that so many of us refer to and talk about, that it can and will sometimes cause people to start to have legitimate type of hauntings or types of things occurring with them. It takes a lot of time to understand these things, and sometimes we just don't have the answers. But you feel in the route that you took that you became more spiritual back with your religion, and you feel that it has helped you, that's the bottom line, and that's what counts. And I'm glad to hear that. I mean, sometimes faith can be the best healer. Well, I'm a very, very strong believer in prayer. There's a lot of power in prayer. I've seen many different people from different religions join together and and do the prayers and their belief systems, and I've seen some amazing things occur. All right. Well, we thank you, caller, and uh, hopefully uh, if there was anything bothering you, it will continue to leave you alone. We thank you for calling in. You're welcome. All right. Have a good night. Uh, you too. Now, uh, John, we, we talked about the museum uh, before the news break, and uh, that's something that is just enormously interesting to me. Uh, where exactly are you located? I'm in Connecticut. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I'm located in Stratford, Connecticut, and my museum is basically set up here. Um, many years of different things that I've collected from cases. Now, a lot of people will always ask me, do I have a lot of activity that takes place? No. I very seldomly have anything that occurs within the museum. Now, most of the items that do come in there, I do have collectible things that I've collected over the years in the museum also, but things that have been removed from cases. These things have bindings that were done over them. There were prayers done over these items. There are items that have been removed from cases I will not bring home. What do I do with those items? I usually try to find a body of water to throw them into, or I will bury them on the property where we are if we have the availability and if the ground isn't frozen or something to be able to do that. Is that because uh, no matter what you do, you can't seem to remove the activity from it? or Some items I feel that they're not even worth trying to clear because they're going to cause too many problems. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, you're better off to dispose of them so they can't cause any more problems for anybody, including myself. So that's my main reason for doing that with some of the items. Now, you know, today I have, you know, literally thousands of items. And, you know, when I come back in from touring or anything like that, I never know what type of a box I'm going to find on my front porch. That's sometimes and, a scary proposition these days. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's a very, very bizarre thing. This past week, three items came in. One of them was a little boy doll, very uh, old. It's porcelain. The person felt that the place they took it from was uh, causing them problems. Another one was an antique dish a woman picked up. And she was having problems with that. Another item was a uh, old uh, terrine ladle. Now, do I always know that these items might possibly have energy or spirit attached to them? Not necessarily, because I do believe that sometimes it takes individuals and certain items that come together 
that can cause the problem. Now, the item can be removed. Ten people can have the item, and nothing will happen whatsoever. So sometimes you have to try and figure out, is it the individual or is it the actual item that was causing the haunting, or was it the combination of both? Well, I've noticed, uh, and for those people who would like to see some of these items in the museum, if you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, it'll give you a link to John's site, JohnZaffisParanormalMuseum.com, where you can see these items. But I've noticed at least the ones that you have on the site, a lot of them are children's toys. So, I mean, we talked about Poltergeist case earlier, sending around these, you know, adolescent, pre-adolescent youths. So maybe it was a case of... You know, something else was going on, and the item was to blame. Because, I mean, if when I was a kid, I had scary clown toys, and I was convinced that there was something, you know, evil about them, and I, I was actually proved to be right. Well, you know, it's a bizarre thing with clowns. They catch a bad rap no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's a good thing Bozo didn't end up with a bad rap behind all this. But, you know, he, clowns, for some reason or another, seem to really, really trigger people. And people that pick them up or collect them, I've dealt with several people that were collectors of clowns. And they would pick up one particular clown at a rummage sale or, or from a store, and it wreaked havoc. Now, they've had clowns, they've collected clowns, and nothing's ever happened, but they'll pick up one, bring it in to add to their collection, and it terrifies them. It scares them so bad they want nothing to do with clowns again. You know, and and the subject of clowns kind of freaks me out a little bit too. But I'm sure there are callers that would love to call in and talk about them and scare me out of my wits. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred for Wareham and the Cape. Uh, now, John, do you think maybe clowns are? you know, uh, a good conductor of these evil forces because if you look back into history, a lot of these, you know, religious ceremonies and a lot of these gods were represented by people painting their bodies, painting their faces. So are clowns almost like a, a modern, you know, uh, akin to that? I don't think so, but a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I've heard this exactly what you have been telling me, you know, uh, described to me what their purpose was in the past. And I think over the years it evolved where that it was to more so represent, you know, a funny clown at circuses and, and et cetera. So uh, here again, that's why I say sometimes it makes you wonder if they're just getting a bum rap, you know, with the whole thing. But I don't know. It's a difficult type thing to answer because here again, once you start digging into things and you start researching things, you find out the bizarre, complex things that tie in with different things, and one of them is clowns. Well, one of the things that I think gets a bum rap, because I'm a big fan, are ventriloquist dummies. But those seem to be something that, you know, whenever you find one at a yard sale or a flea market, or you know, there's almost always a story to go along with it. And I, I notice on, on the museum website you have uh, one of those in your collection with a, a rather uh, horrendous appearance to it. Absolutely, and the, the whole thing was the little boy kept saying, uh, the, you know, that it kept speaking to him, kept speaking to him. The mother just thought it was imaginary type thing, and one day she walked in the room. It was across the room. The little boy was sitting in the other side of the room, and she looked over, and the boy was talking to it, and its mouth was moving, and that was enough for the mother. But she, she, wanted, could, she couldn't hear it, though. She didn't hear anything, but she saw the mouth moving on mm-hmm. it. And the, the boy, obviously, was hearing something while it was moving. Yeah, and she, you know, she talked, you know, went back and forth, and that scared her to the point where she
she no longer wanted it in the house and never wanted anything to do with it again. I would have burnt the sucker. Yeah, you know, here again, too, certain things, you know, and you got to take it with a grain of salt, is the fact that, you know, are these items actually causing these things to occur or they're happening? Sometimes it, we really, really don't know the bottom end result with the items. But these people are horrified and scared of them so bad that they don't even want them in their house. They don't want anything to do with them whatsoever. So here again, you know, the, the scare factor got put into play, and they're 100% convinced that item might have caused it. Therefore, they're not going to want anything to do with that item whatsoever. And, and sometimes it's uh, better safe than sorry, too. Exactly. Exactly. It, it can be a, a situation like that. And that's where, well, yeah, a lot of times I'll agree to remove the items because regardless, and when I say that to certain people, you know, you don't always know that it has to do with that item. They don't care. They just want it out. They want it removed. And I notice that there's a lot of uh, idols, too, in, in your collection. Uh, I don't want to say religious idols because I, I'm not familiar with what they would be used for. But there are, you know, uh, totem statues and, and different idol figures. Are these something that were used in religious ceremonies and, and then they, they became you, collectibles? Or? Okay, what you, they are collectibles. But what you have to remember is in a lot of different countries and different belief systems, when idols, if you will, or the totems are carved, they're carved out to represent something. Mm -hmm. That is their belief system, and they believe very strongly in that. It's like with a lot of your African art. Here again, a lot of it is carved to represent different deities into which, into which they believe. So therefore, that is their customs. That is their belief systems. It's when people intermingle with these items that aren't aware of what they represent or what they were actually made to represent can and will wreak havoc in their lives. I mean, a perfect example is gargoyles. Uh, so many people, you know, collect these gargoyles because they think there's something to be feared, but they actually, the purpose of them was to scare out spirits and to keep evil spirits away. Well, that's very, very true, and I'm a huge collector of gargoyles. I have, I have tons of gargoyles throughout my office, and their original intent was to ward off evil. But today, here again, people look at it as they're a very, very evil thing. So, you know, when you study these things and you learn about these different things, it's bizarre when you try to figure out how and how did the gargoyle end up becoming something so sinister and considered something so evil. One thing that looks surprisingly not sinister uh, on the museum website but just gives me the creeps when I look at it is the little white teddy bear, Oscar the teddy bear. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners the story surrounding Oscar? Well, Oscar belonged to a little girl, and actually that's one of the few items that the little girl had named. And uh, a bizarre situation uh, occurred. The uh, mom had given me a call, and she was explaining to me all the different things that were occurring in the house. And she had very, very little uh, things left, all her knickknacks, dishes, everything would get broke. And the bizarre thing was when these things would occur, she'd go into different rooms and would find Oscar in the room. And she was so horrified and so petrified of the house and Oscar that she did pack up what she had left and had moved out and asked us to actually go in and do an investigation in there. When we did go into the home, Oscar was there. He was removed. 
Today he's in the museum, but Oscar hasn't caused any problems in the museum. Yeah, again, it's, it's, you know, when you get that perfect storm of having the, the child and the toy, and it just, you know, could just simply be reflective. Uh, now, it, it, maybe some people out there have similar items in their homes or things that have been passed down to them. We'd like to hear about it, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, and, John, what would the process be if somebody found something that they wanted to have you take a look at? Can they just send it to you or...? They can definitely just uh, send it to me. I have no problem with that. Just not COD, right? Not COD, no, please. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I always recommend to people the first thing before, especially if it's a family heirloom or something that means a lot to them, one thing I always recommend to people, if you brought that item into the house and you've got activity happening, take the item out, put it out in the garage or a barn or something, and see if things stop. Mm -hmm because it might not actually have anything to do with the item. Then bring the item back in and actually see what happens. I mean, I always recommend that to people because uh, here again, you know, it's kind of sad when uh, people give up family heirlooms or that's been around for generation after generation. Now, what about this proliferation of items here on, on eBay, or as our guest last week, Penny Dreadful, called it Evil Bay? There seems to be, you know, if you go on there and look up haunted whatever, I mean, I'm, I'm going up looking for books or, or just different, you know, documents that I might find. But if you put in haunted, you get this whole slate of people that are trying to sell haunted merchandise. Mm -hmm. and, and is that, you know, I mean, that's another route people could go with this stuff. But do you think that that's kind of uh, inviting more trouble to be passing these items along to other homes? Or uh, Absolutely. Whether most of them are haunted or not, it's a very bizarre, complex thing to, to figure out if they are or somebody's, you know, trying to make some money off of them. I mean, you know, those are things that we just don't know. And we're not going to know unless somebody picks the items up, they bring them in, and all of a sudden they start to have a tremendous amount of activity. And now, I can be honest with you, I dealt with people that have picked up items off of eBay just out of curiosity's sake to find out if they were haunted or they were going to cause problems. Well, those people didn't want those items. I've dealt with people that picked up jewelry, mm -hmm. a haunted wedding gown, uh, a couple of different books. I mean, you know, there, there have been different things that these people purchased not believing that these things were really going to happen, and they did happen. I've dealt with people that have bought stuff off of eBay that were, was allegedly haunted, the people had no activity whatsoever. Now, see, that creeps me out a little bit because my wife does a lot of uh, a lot of shopping and selling on eBay, and I'm just worried about the stuff that's coming into the house. I mean, we like to go out and buy old antique books at yard sales and turn them around for profit, but I just know we're inviting something into the house at some point that we're not going to want there. Now, uh, uh, John, we touched also uh, on your aunt and uncle, Ed and Lorraine Warren. We're going to take a, a quick one-minute break here, but on the other side, I'd like to talk to you about, uh, about your aunt and uncle and how they helped you get into the investigations. Okay. All right, so stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this.
Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. And we're back. Tim Weisberg, Matt Costa, and Matt Moniz here on Spooky South Coast. And we're speaking to John Zaffis, one of the world's foremost paranormal investigators. And he got his start by working under his aunt and uncle, the famous Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, John, how exactly did you get involved working with them? I mean, was it just, you know, my aunt and uncle, this is what they do, and I just tagged along with them one day? or? No, what, what basically got me going on the whole thing was, you know, I was about 15, 16 years old, had a sighting of my grandfather at the foot of my bed. And at that point in time, you know, it, it intrigued me. It was transparent, and it just shook its head back and forth. Well, I, you know, I was a little shook up trying to figure out what the heck this was about, went downstairs, was telling my mom about it. And she looked at me. She said, did it say or do anything? I said, well, just shook its head back and forth. And she got a complex look on her face. And she goes, well, that was your grandfather. She says, when he was upset over anything or something was wrong, he would shake his head back and forth. Well, at that point, I said to myself, there's something to all of this. Mm-hmm. I had an experience. I don't understand it, so I needed to know. And then that's when I started really getting involved with going out, checking out haunted locations, tying in with people, and really wanting to know about it. Then when I was a little bit older, I you know, started going out with uh, my aunt and uncle doing investigations and checking out the different things and being involved with it. And, you know, it was a whole world that was very complexing and very, very bizarre because I wasn't exposed to so many of the different things. Then I wanted to know, do people get possessed? i never seen it, never experienced it. And that's when I decided I wanted to learn and start to understand the different things that people go through. And that was another whole realm of trying to understand where these things for real. And you had some great teachers in, in that area as well. Absolutely. I mean, the... the the, the opportunities that were there, uh, the understanding, the exposure to different people, you know, it was something you, you can't get from a book, you can't get from a TV show. You know, uh, when you intermingle with those people, you're involved with those people, it's a whole knowledge base in so many different things that I've been able to learn and understand over the years that, you know, it's, it's brought me to where I am today. I'm trying to understand a lot of these different things. Now, the, the Warrens are probably most famous to uh, lay people for their work with the Lutz family. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, as the years have gone by, the Lutzes have kind of come under fire a little bit as glorifying their experiences, uh, you know, Hollywoodizing their experiences. And, unf- I mean, I- I've always believed that there was more Jay Anson when he wrote the book more so than the Lutz family. Well, yeah, Amityville is one of the most controversial cases you could ever talk about. And, I mean, you know, every time you turn around, there's a new book, a new movie, and there's always bizarre things that entail that whole case. I mean, not only have the Lutzes been under fire for that, so have the warrants. I, I mean, I was going to say, I don't know if you've seen the the updated version of the Amityville Horror. I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah, I, I've seen it. Yeah, and and they kind of uh, portrayed the Warrens in an unflattering light as as kind of some charlatans there. Well, you know, here again, with, with the Amityville case and a lot of different cases, 
the the root of the case. That that's what I look for when I when I am interested in certain things. Okay, what did Kathy and George actually experience? Did they go through a haunting in the home? Do I honestly have to say yes? I think there was something to it. Do I think the books and the movies got totally carried away with everything? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. You see that with most of your movies or, you know, a lot of things when people start intermingling in those things. But I still can remember way back when, before the books, before the movies, hearing conversations on audio tape. Because my uncle was uh, very, very big on taping things, and he would sit for hours listening to them. And I still remember it, you know. Uh, Going down, he was playing the tapes. I was listening to the tapes. He'd shut them off, ask questions, and turn them back on. And we'd go back and forth. And it was before I even knew who the heck Kathy and George Lutz were. Well, that was the Nixon era, too. So taping things was in vogue back then, too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And here again, there's been a lot of people that have intertwined in that case, got involved with that case. Um, you know, I, I, a few years back, I met George Lutz for the very first time, lectured with him at a couple of different conventions and things, and sat down and just talked to him in regards to some of the things him and the entire family went through. And I really didn't notice too big of a change from what I heard 30 years earlier from George. But here again, it's, it's a, an extremely, extremely controversial case. Anything that goes public where there are books written, where there are movies done, they're going to turn into controversy. I mean, it's, it's just something that goes with the field. I always believed it right up until Amityville 3, when they started making everything in 3D. That's when I refused to believe it. <laughs> no, just, just kidding. It just seems, though, that uh, when the Lusses moved in, you know, the, the knock is that they, you know, they found out about the DeFeo murders, and they said, gee, here's our chance to maybe you know, glorify this a little bit for our personal gain, but I don't think you would put your family through what they went through for the sake of a hoax. Well, the, here's a very bizarre, complexing thing. With that, okay, fine. You're going to go ahead, you're going to buy a house, you're going to hear about all these murders that took place in a house. Okay, you might think you're going to profit on it, you're going to make a movie, you're going to make a book, but how would they have even known anybody was going to pick it up? How would they have known... It was going to reach the extent that it did. Exactly. It was almost, that case is what actually ignited a lot of people's interest in the subject matter. Absolutely. Now, number two, another thing that's very complexing, if you think about it, when they fled that house, they left all their personal effects behind. Pictures, momentum, family things. George uh, left a tremendous amount of, of uh, family heirlooms from his father behind. And all those things ended up getting auctioned off. And I mean, is that something that people are going to turn around and do? I don't think so. And for those people that you know might not have followed the real story uh, where the original book and movie end, they left behind all their possessions, but they brought along with them whatever was in the house. Yes, they, they did have problems afterwards, which here again is very, very common with a, a lot of things that do occur with, with hauntings. You know, a person can move out of a house and something can, and a lot of times it, it will follow them and they will have problems afterwards. That's not an unusual thing for most of uh, your most known cases that are out there today. A lot of people do have residual afterwards. 
And, you know, it's easy to point to when, uh, when people have problems in a, in a family, in a relationship, uh, financial struggles. You know, they'll say that, hey, you know, these people need money. And all of a sudden there's a story that their house is haunted and there's news crews and there's books being written and movies being made. But almost like that strife at home is a big cause of the negativity that allows these negative spirits to enter. It can be. It can, it can very well be. But, you know, the, the one thing I think that's key and important with most people that go public or if they do a book on their haunting or, you know, they choose to do a movie on it, a lot of times people think these people are walking away multimillionaires. Well, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, these people will make a few dollars off of it, but we're not talking millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. That, that's, what's, that, that's the other thing that's very complexing and very, very difficult for me to understand as far as being a paranormal investigator. When they choose to do this, a lot of people want to do it because they want to share their story. They want to intermingle with other people that have gone through these things, and, and they're basically saying, hey, I'm not nuts, but I chose exactly. to go public. They, they, they need validation. They need common experience. Yeah. I mean, uh, as a paranormal investigator, you're not making anything off it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a field that you find a lot of people are joining together in like a brotherhood to try to get some answers. And, and, you know, here again, it's the bottom line. I've been in this work for many, many years. I never made money. I, I'd go out do my investigations. It would cost me money, gas, tolls. Same here. Traveling. Same here. I mean, it cost us a tremendous, tremendous amount of money. Today, I still will never charge a family. I will not do that. But do I make money off of my lecturing? Yes. Am I making money off of my book? Yeah. Well, I mean, you are also trying to, you know, support a life, too. You, yeah. You need to pay bills just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, as Hollywood has sensationalized a lot of these stories, you know, you'll find people that will call up and say, I mean, I know of a family that had something happen back in the 80s, and the first thing they did is they called Unsolved Mysteries and said, you know, how much of a check will I get if I have you come and film here? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's it's kind of diluted the pool here of, you know, trying to get to the bottom of some of this stuff, and it's increased the level of hoaxes. I, I think it has, but in, in defense of some of the shows that I've gotten involved with, um, oh, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm not saying that the television show is paid for it. I'm just saying these people were looking for the money. In some instances, I got to say yes, but I, I will tell you this: with some of the shows I've gotten involved with, they scrutinize those families. They want to talk to the clergy. They want to talk to the researchers. They want to talk to a lot of different people that have been involved with it. You won't necessarily see them on the shows, but there is a lot that the shoot, that the, these shoots or the shows, whatever you want to call it, do check into behind the scenes. Because you're going to have that, especially today, more so than ever. I deal with more people now that, you know, the first thing they'll say to me, oh, we want to do a movie, we want to do a book. Mm-hmm. Right then and there, that's going to throw up a red flag with anybody in our work. And exactly. then, you know, you got to uh, scrutinize through this to understand what is the root, is it a real haunting? So, you know, that's a very, very difficult thing. Very difficult. I mean, look at all the uh, supposedly haunted bread, bed and breakfasts or, or restaurants or all these places that, you know, try to make a buck off their supposed story, their supposed haunting. Okay, now, with... I refer to these as notorious hauntings. 
when we deal with the places that are known to be haunted 100 to 200 years, I will tell you 99% of the time those places will be haunted. Now, why do I say that? Over the years, the amount of recognition, the amount of things that people have done going into these haunted locations, summonsing, practicing different things, bringing in the Ouija boards, trying to contact spirit that are in these haunted locations, you're going to end up with a haunting. I am more intrigued with established hauntings in buildings, bed and breakfast, the old prisons, these places... 99% 99% of the time, they are going to be haunted due to the, the things that have been done in them, the law of attraction, the law of recognition. Thus, it's going to be haunted. You know, the, the more I think about it, the more I think we're pretty much screwed here on Spooky South Coast. <laughs> the more we talk about this stuff, and the more <laughs> we're just inviting something to happen here as well. Well, here again, like I always say, all of us take that chance when we get involved with these things. You talk about the paranormal, you get involved with it. You do have to prepare yourself. Sooner or later, you're going to have some type of a paranormal experience. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I don't agree that everybody's going to end up having a negative one. Absolutely not. But people will have experiences. Spirit will intermingle one way or another. When you go out doing investigations, you go to haunted locations, you talk about this, you're going to have that. Hey, John. When I first started researching this stuff about 20 years ago, uh, my mentor said something to me that I never found more true. For every step you take towards the paranormal, it takes two towards you. <laughs> With, when, when, when I was a young kid, and, you know, it, uh, these are um, things that I've just st- started talking about very recently because they, they reflect on so much of my life today. When I, when I decided to get involved with the demonology and part of it. My uncle did everything he possibly could to keep me the heck out of it because he, he did not want me involved with it. And I couldn't understand why. It, 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 it just wasn't logical, and it didn't register. Well, he sat me down for hours going through so many different things, and he would just sit there and go, John, once you cross that line and the farther you go into this stuff, the more you start studying it, he says, the more these things will retaliate against you, and the more you're going to have happen, the more people will try to seek you out for good and for evil. And he said, your life is never going to be the same. He says, it's going to alter you. It's going to alter your friendships. It's going to alter your relationships with researchers and, and clergy. And, I mean, he went into such an in-depth conversation, and I, I remember it. And it all registered, and I remember the final part of the conversation, because he always called me kid. He goes, kid, what do you think? I said, well, I'm not that worried about it. And I chuckled, and he looked at me, and he says, I am. You're my blood. You are my nephew. You will be targeted. He says, you don't understand. He says, okay, it's your choice. Did I find out over the years and some of the complexing things that we all get ourselves involved with that what he tried to explain to me is that you can't walk away from this stuff once you're involved with it and once you start delving into all these different things with the paranormal it always will and remember you who you are for intermingling in this whether it's human spirit or something on a negative 
That is a fact, and we all go through this. I can't tell you how many times, just like every other paranormal investigator out there, I quit. I don't want nothing to do with this. I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm tired of, you know, the, the everybody arguing and, and trying to help people. Nobody will listen to you. It gets frustrating, and it gets aggravating. And over the years that I've done that, where I've pulled back and said no more, I always get drawn back in. Always somebody will call me. They want to understand something. A, a family will call me. A, a clergy will call me. So I've always found myself where I've gotten drawn right back into it, no matter how many times I made those choices to pull away from it. So here again, yeah, that's why I chuckled a little bit when you said that. It does, and the deeper you get into it, the more you try to understand it, the deeper you're going to have different things that are going to occur in your life, your personal life, and it affects everything that intermingles with you. All right, well, we're going to take a quick two-minute break, and then on the other side, we will wrap things up with John Zaffis. We want to hear from you in these final few minutes, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Maybe you have some questions, some stories. We want to hear them here on Spooky South Coast. Back in two. There's a touch of madness around here. Paranormal, is that what they're calling your kind these days? The revolution will be broadcast. Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, Matt Costa, and Matt Moniz forming the three stooges of the paranormal here tonight for you. And we have John Zaffis on the line with us. And, uh, John, you recently published your first book, Shadows of the Dark. Let's tell some people about your book. Well, the book in details uh, my bizarre, crazy life being in the paranormal. <laughs> I basically tried to structure it and tried to do it so that people can understand what it's like getting involved in our world. I explain what my life has been like, my interaction with it, all the different people I've worked with. And I went into several different types of investigations that I've done. And I've also included in that book where are there situations and cases that I've been involved with that I was not able to resolve? Yes. Because I think that's important to get people to understand that sometimes there are certain types of hauntings and certain situations, no matter who gets involved with them, you just can't have a conclusion to a case. So I basically tried to structure it from that perspective. Now, was it your idea to do the book, or did somebody approach you? Well, the bizarre thing was I've always wanted to do it, and I always kept putting it off, putting it off. And Brian McIntyre, um, personal, very, very good friend, he started working with me on investigations and doing the different things and one day, he basically just presented me with this whole pile of things that he had done up. And it totally, totally intrigued me. And he did up a couple of different cases that we were involved with. And I, I sat there to like 4 a.m. in the morning reading this, and I just sat back. The following day, I called him up. I said, boy, I led one hell of a life. 
<laughs> and I says, I just never thought about it. He goes, John, he says, you don't realize. And he says, you don't, he, he says, I listen to you and you talk so matter of a fact about the people you worked with, the, the cases you've been involved with, like it's absolutely nothing. He said, but people would like to read that. And that's where the book actually came from. So then I just said to him, okay, fine. Take, take, you know, here's, you know, what I'd like to do and what I'd like to see. And Brian was phenomenal at actually going through notes, going through some of my tapes, and actually picking my brain to decipher through some of the different things. And he did a phenomenal job writing the book. Phenomenal. It's kind of weird when the paranormal becomes normal in your life. Isn't it? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I look at things and I view things so differently. And, you know, I have to step back and then look, especially when, you know, there, there's new people that are trying to understand the work and, and trying to comprehend it. And when things occur, when we're on investigations or, or, or things happen, I don't even pay attention to it. It's just It's just things that I take... For granted? For granted. Best way I can describe it. And, you know, a lot of people say to me, how, how can you just stand there when something happens like that? Well, when you've seen it 20 times before, yeah. it's no longer a shock. Yeah. It's a lot and, of fun to watch other people's reaction. The, 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 the one thing that, I, that bothers me and concerns me more than anything is that I'm very, very guarded when it comes to people, especially when they want to learn this work and get involved with the work, I always tell them, please, learn as much as you can before you start delving into this. Well, uh, reminds me of what Einstein said. As long as you're headed towards the unknown, you're headed in the right direction. <laughs> All right. And you can pick up John's book, Shadows of the Dark. You can go to the website, www.shadowsofthedark.com. Uh, you can also get it at Amazon.com, your local bookstore. If they don't have it, tell them to order it. And, uh, you know, you, you have to just check it out. You have to read about the incredible life of John Zaffis. John, we thank you for joining us. We thank you for giving us two hours on a Saturday night when uh, I'm sure there were people that needed you to do some investigations or, or remove some objects. Well, thanks for having me on. It was great. And we'd love to have you again sometime in the future. You got it, buddy. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. And take care. You too. And remember, folks, you can download the show all week long on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. If you missed any part of it, you can also go to iTunes and get the podcast. Put it directly on your MP3 player, your, your iPod, trademark, copyright, 2006 Apple computers. <laughs> You know, if we're going to keep plugging the iPod, you think they'd at least send us some for free. We're going to have to see what we can do about that. And also, if you have a, a paranormal story, question, theory, anything that you want to bring to our attention, you can email us all week long. Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, Matt at SpookySouthCoast.com. It's all right up there on the website. That's where you can read about who our guests will be in the upcoming week, You know, links to some of the things that we've talked about. And uh, we're working on some, some new aspects of it. We, we can just give you some paranormal links so you can check out and investigate some of the stuff on your own and start to draw your own conclusions. You know, as John Zaffis said earlier in the show, it's good that people want to get involved in this and investigate this, but you have to go about it the right way. One of the things that we want to do here is we want to make sure that we can bring you the right people to talk to you about it. We can connect you with the right people to talk about it and make sure that you do do it the right way because... You know, you could be very close to finding the answer, or you could be very close to ruining your life. It all depends on what step you take in which direction. So for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, 
I'm Tim Weisberg. We thank you for joining us. We'll see you next Saturday night. Stay spectacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow.